We need nothing more. We need no more prophets. We need no more apostles because he has given us the very word of God. And we would do good to just preach the word of God and tell people about the coming of Christ and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we proclaim this word, we are proclaiming the very words of God and therefore we can do it in a prophetic manner. Thus saith the Lord. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Last week we looked at two different resurrections. One was a spiritual resurrection. One was a physical resurrection with emphasis being on the first because the first would determine the second. The spiritual pointed as, again, the most important because how you respond to the gospel in the now will determine your final resurrection. You have a choice. You have options in the now to hear or not to hear, but there will come a day when the physical resurrection takes place, there will be no more choice. You have been blessed today with a choice. You have been blessed with an opportunity, breath in your lungs, an option to receive Christ, to trust in the gospel, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those of you that have responded by faith to the gospel of grace, with faith uh, with repentance, you will kneel out of your confession to Christ with a willingness. But there will come a day when there will be all who bow the knee, not by willingness, but because they will be made to. There will be those that have closed their eyes to the spiritual resurrection, those that have failed to be transferred from death to life, from the power of Satan to God. Your knees will bow and your tongue will confess that, yes, Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, and that is God. It is he of whom I exhort you this morning to believe, to bow, to give your life to Christ today while you have the ability. That was the two main ideas that we looked at last week. He is the Lord over the resurrection and he is the Lord over judgment. And again this week, no different, Jesus is still defending his deity There is a difference, though. There's a shift from the third person to the first person. There is a transitional difference. In the court of law, if you're you're standing and you're giving a defense, you call witnesses to the stand to prove your innocence. And that's what Christ is going to do here. He is going to call to the stand witnesses to prove that he is who he claims to be, that he obtains all authority, that he knows all things, that he, yes, does great and mighty works. He is the one that has the ability to give eternal life, and he is the one that has the ability to raise men and women unto judgment and he is about to present evidence to prove that he is who he claims to be and he's going to do that by revealing witnesses of his deity it's a great portion of scripture it's a really neat one and if and i hope and i pray that through chapter five you've come acquainted with it because when we stand in the defense of who jesus claims to be chapter five is pillar Before chapter 5, it was not pillar in my theology, but now it is. The Jehovah's Witness, 
knocks on my door, guess where I'm taking them? Chapter 5. Why? Because Jesus uses this chapter to claim his deity. What better way than for us to go to chapter 5? And then use everything else as a byproduct of this. Because he's about to call these witnesses to the stand to prove he is who he claims to be. So if you will turn with me, John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. I want you to see today all the witnesses that Jesus calls to the stand. First, we see the witness of John. Secondly, we see the witness of the works. Thirdly, we see the witness of the word. So let's dig in. Starting off in verse 30, the reminder that he and the Father are one. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There is a simple reminder of what he's already said previously. He's saying it's just a different way because in, he starts out in John five nineteen, which we looked at a few weeks ago. The son can do nothing of himself. And so he's reaffirming here in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. They are one. They are equal. Jesus reminds them in case they have forgotten. Have you forgotten? Because we forget really easy, don't we? And so he's just bringing up by way of reminder. He says, as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just. God is a just God. Therefore, the judgments that Jesus makes are just. If you raise the judgment on the last day, it will be a just judgment. Um, because you have rejected Christ. Jesus doesn't do anything against the Father's will because they are so interwoven, they are presented in perfect equality. He is equal and he states, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But Jesus, listen, knows that this is not enough proof in itself. He knows that these religious leaders know the law, right? They study the scriptures well. They, they know the law well. The law set forth in Deuteronomy even points to the fact in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So Jesus, knowing this, states here in verse 31, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Now let's stop for a moment here, because I want to make a point that Jesus can never sin. Therefore, Jesus can never lie. Therefore, Jesus' testimony is always true, regardless of... Of the hearers. But Jesus understands the hearts of these men. He understands their dilemma. And so he meets them on that playing level. He approaches them where they are. He gets inside their worldview and he approaches them from that. And so he says in verse 31 If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, at face value, It seems he is stating this because of the law in Deuteronomy 19. Because he knows what they are thinking, and so he's addressing them again from that understanding. But John 8 says something different. He he is speaking again to religious leaders, probably a different group, but he says here in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have 
light of life. So the Pharisees asked him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Why? Because of Deuteronomy. He tells them. Jesus answered and said to them, listen, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, yet you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. Jesus' testimony is always true because he cannot lie. Therefore, his testimony is true regardless. And so, but when he says in 31, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true, I think he's doing it because he's trying to approach them on the same playing level. This is the way that Christ begins to introduce his witnesses. Because he understands that he must be two or three witnesses, and so how many does he present? He presents three. He really presents four, but I say he presents three that all point back to one, and that's God as his main witness. He says, there is another who testifies about me. Here's the main idea. And I know that the testimony which he, capitalized, gives about me is true. So right at the very beginning, he states the fact that he is God. And what he testifies is true. God is his first witness, of which I did not list because I want you to see that in all of the witnesses that Christ speaks of, it's all God granting the deity. It's God pointing to the fact that Christ is who he is, who he claims to be. He is the main witness of all that is capsulated here. And so that brings us to our first point. We see the witness of John. He says in verse 33, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. So check this out. John is the first witness to the stand, of which Jesus points these religious leaders to. Why? Because John came witnessing about Christ. Did he not? I think it's very important to try and understand why Jesus pointed the witnesses that he did so that he could and should confirm his deity. If you recall, John the Baptist is a prophet. We clearly see Jesus affirm John as, the, as a prophet. In Matthew eleven seven to 11, he says, well, let, let me bring you up to context there. Jesus is, is, is teaching a group of people. John is in prison. John has asked questions of Christ, and he's asked these men to go ask Jesus. And so they travel, they go meet Jesus, and they're asking him those questions, and they finally get done. By the way, that's a really confusing passage, but pretty neat if you'll read it, the context there. But they ask Jesus the questions, and when they're done, the text says, as the men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And so they begin to have this discussion about John. And he begins to ask him, I believe, some rhetorical questions when he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Question mark. A reed shaken by the wind? Of course not. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Of course not. Why? Because men who wear soft clothes are kings and palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. He went out to see a prophet. And I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. And so when they hear that there is a prophet, they, what do they do? They flock him. Why? Because it's been a long time since the prophet spoke. Jesus agrees, yes, John is a prophet. 
of who is of great value. But John goes on to say that he was, calling him a prophet wasn't high enough. John's greatness arises not only because he was a prophet, but because he fulfillment of prophecy. Malachi 3.1, we read, in, in which he continues to quote there in, in Matthew. It, verse 10, he says, This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, 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 I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus views him not only as a prophet, but one that is greater than anyone born of a woman. That means he's pretty valuable. How would you like to be considered one that has never been born the greatest of any woman ever given birth to a young man? What? There's value in John. Jesus again views him as a prophet. But why? Because prophets did what? They were spokesmen of God. Among the Jews, there could be no higher pedestal in which to place a man than that as a prophet. And while there had been many prophets in the old days, the people of that day had never seen one. Nor had their ancestors. It had been 400 years. So when John comes onto the scheme, they flock him. He was a prophet of God, and the prophet of God did what? He spoke the very words of God. This is important, guys. This is important. Jesus puts this witness on the stand for the sole purpose that God himself is the one speaking through John. And so when John testifies that Christ is the one, it's God testifying that he is the one. John's testimony is God's testimony. This helps us understand what Jesus is doing. The text says, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. You called upon him. You personally testify, he personally testified to you about me. He is a prophet. Therefore, his testimony is of God, and therefore it is true. And so when they came and asked John, who he was, he pointed them to Christ. He said in John 1, 19-20, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus called to John to the stand because his testimony is true and God points to the fact that the Father is the key witness. And so John clears this up when he says, But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Listen, his purpose has always been to seek and save the lost. They reject. They have ears not to hear. They came to John, and John confirmed that he wasn't the Christ, but that he came to testify. That's why it says in verse 35, he was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Like there was this spark, and it drew attention. And they came, but that soon faded when they, they, they didn't see Christ as what they had expected. They wanted a a, a ruling leader that would conquer. But he came as a servant. Listen, John was the source God used to reveal the Lord to bring about salvation. John 1, 7 and 8 says he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light. 
He was sent by God and his words were that of God. What greater testimony than to be pointed out as who you claim to be by God himself through a prophet of God. How does this relate to us today? Well, I think it's a great reminder that not only is the testimony of Jesus true and reliable because it was God's doing, because when God spoke, he spoke truth. And when he spoke through a prophet, he spoke truth. Same thing for that as we should remember is that all scripture is God breathed. Because the Spirit of God, through the men of God, penned the very Word of God. And we, like John, can also be a witness of Christ. Because we have the full counsel of God's holy and written Word. Completed and written Word we have. And so we can, too, proclaim Christ. Because when we proclaim Christ through His Word, it's the very words of God. He is who He claimed to be. And that is God. Thus saith the Lord. The witness of John spoke favor of Christ's deity. And it points to the fact that just like Jesus said to these people, as God said through John, He is the Son of the living God. And in Him there is life. Now and into the future. Those that will be raised to life eternally and those that will be raised to life eternally and to judgment. Both. The testimony of John validates Christ's deity because a prophet could only have spoken what God had given them to speak and to do what God had given them to do. So, that's the witness of John, which is a witness of God. We see that witness of John, but something greater than that we see, and that is the fact, secondly, we see the witness of the works. So the next witness that Jesus begins to bring to the stand is the witness of works. Just like every good prophet spoke God's word, so the prophets also were accompanied by miraculous works, which were also given by God. So, the witness of John, listen, was great. The witness of John, listen, was powerful. The witness of John was convincing in themselves. But while all that powerful witnessing is true, John 5.36 says, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. He established these testimonies by important, more important, and most important. This is pretty interesting. John's witness is a big deal, but Jesus says, my testimony, my work's testimony is greater. For the works which the Father has given me and accomplish, the very works I do testify about me. The Father has sent me. I can't help but hear John chapter 14 scream out at me when I read this. John 14, 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of what? The works themselves. His works testified. You see, the witness on the stand is the works of Christ. He is the prophet, priest, and king. And every prophet of God that spoke the truth of God was accompanied by miraculous works. You say John wasn't, didn't have any miracles. I, I, I disagree. His birth was a miracle. The Holy Spirit filled him in the womb and he leaped with joy, didn't he? What happened to his father when he found out it was John? He began to prophesy. 
the prophets of old and even into the New Testament, listen, had very unique roles. There were only about 200 years out of the 6,000 in which miraculous works took place in which God worked through men with miracle-working powers. Moses and Joshua, for about 65 years, in 1380 B.C., worked miracles and signs. Elijah and Elijah, from about 860 B.C. till about 795 B.C., another 65 years, worked miracles. And then from Christ... To the apostles, another 70 years from Christ into the death of John, the last apostle. And so while many want to see miracle-working powers in our day, and they search the scriptures, and they search to make prophets available and apostles available, they fail to see that it took place very little in these days, in the history of humanity. Why? Because they were only given credentials to divine credibility of one whom God has put his very word. That is important. The very word of God. And that's why we believe that this, listen, is the very word of God. We need nothing more. We need no more prophets. We need no more apostles because he has given us the very word of God. And we would do good to just preach the word of God and tell people about the coming of Christ and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we proclaim this word, we are proclaiming the very words of God and therefore we can do it in a prophetic manner. Thus saith the Lord. That is amazing that God uses the works of Jesus to prove he was who he claimed to be and that was God in flesh. God has put his works in these men. If you want an example, look at Exodus 4, 1 to 5. While you're turning there, remember God met Moses in the burning bush. He gives them direction in chapter 3, a mission of what he was to do. And when we come into chapter 4, he gives them what? Miracle working powers. Why? Because Moses was a prophet. And therefore, in order to be a prophet, he needed the miracle workings to accompany him, to prove he was who he claimed to be. And so when we come to Exodus 4, 1 to 5, it says, Then Moses said, What if they will not believe or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Then throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And, and Moses did what everybody in this room would do, run, <laughs> right? Or pull out a gun and shoot it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand, grasp it by its tail. And so he stretched it out and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob had appeared to you. God gave Moses the ability to work miracles for one purpose, and that was to give him credibility that God's words would be his words. Aaron was the speaker, but Moses was the receiver. The purpose for miracles were to say this is God's man, and this man will speak God's words. Jesus does the miracles. Is it important to heal sick people? Yes. But what was the major purpose behind it? To prove that he was the God-man. And so he says, 
And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. And you neither heard his voice at any time nor seen him, his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent you. Jesus is saying this, the works that I do are from God and prove that I am who I claim to be. Because I've raised men from the dead, I've allowed them to walk, right? I've, I've told the future, remember, at the woman at the well. I've turned the water to wine. All of these things which I do, my works testify to that which I claim that I am God. I'm equal to God, that God is my Father, and that we have even authority over the Sabbath. But he did it all so that we might be saved. The witness of works testify to who I am and they confirm what I claim. But you don't believe, he says. The message for me and you and for the message for them is to believe because of the works themselves. If you doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe because of the works themselves. He's put the witness of works on the stand to prove he is who he claimed to be. We see the witness of John on the stand that points to the fact that God spoke through John. We have the witness of the works on the stand which point to the fact that the works of which Christ does is given by the, the ability of God. But let's approach the last witness that we see the witness of the word. The last witness that Jesus refers to is the witness of his word. He says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these things that testify about me. Here the verb search grabs the idea of intensive study of the word of God. You, 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 you search the scriptures, you study them diligently, in depth, and with length, and time. This would have been a, an amazing witness, the witness of the word. Because the scribes and the rabbis, they went through great lengths to gain deep understandings of the scriptures. And had developed an intensive oral tradition to help people remain faithful to the Torah, to the law. But like Jesus says, in that which you study that points and testifies to me, they missed it. If you could simply understand what you read, you would know that it is I of whom it speaks. Listen. Strong study of God's Word doesn't save souls. Now, I didn't say that we shouldn't study the Scriptures. But information does not equate to transformation. That's not how God works. All of the study, all of the tradition in verse 40 says, You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You see, you can be in church, you can read your Bibles, you can attend Bible studies, you can memorize the Word of God, you can seek the very Word of God, but merely knowing the facts of Scripture without fully embracing them in the heart and acting on will not bring the blessing of salvation. 
No one is saved by information, but rather by transformation of the heart in which the Word of God points us to the Son of God that brings about life. They missed it. And my prayer is that you don't. The witness of the Word is a strong proof in who Christ is in what Christ does, in why He does what He does. And it's to honor the Father, not to gain, listen, not to gain some man-made attention, to draw attention to Himself. He says in, here in verse 41, I do not receive glory from man. Jesus doesn't intend on doing something to make them happy, to receive glory from mankind, but rather He is living out the plan that God has given Him. That's His purpose, that's His point, that's His desire. If he stooped to become the kind of Messiah they wanted, without a doubt he could have attracted their praise and gained some kind of man-created glory. But his entire commitment had been to pleasing the Father. John five nineteen says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus knows these people's hearts, and it's far from God. A matter of fact, he says, But I know you, and that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. I am telling you, God has sent men. John testified. The works testified. The word which I think you deeply know, them which you study, that you seek, speaks of me, but you do not have the love of God in your heart. Because you reject. And therefore, why in the world would I seek praise for men that do not even have the love of God in their hearts? You see, Matthew speaks of these kinds of people. When he says in Matthew 15, 8, the people honored me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you had truly loved God, you would have loved the Son of God, whom God sent. John 5.23 reminds us, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. To reject Christ as deity is to reject God, the Father. They did not really love God. They loved, listen, they loved their ideas about God. I love what one writer said when he said this, Chief judgment of those who deny that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, is not so much that they have no Messiah, but that they have followed false messiahs. That's why he says, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Listen, there were many false witnesses of the day. Most commentators agree that there were no less than 63 messianic pretenders who who pretended and attracted followers. But they wouldn't receive Christ. The one very whom they've studied the Scriptures points to. And so he asked a simple but profound question, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek glory that is from the one and only God? You seek the glory of man. You study, you read, you learn not to get glory from God, but from man. It has been said that these rabbis studied to be known by man, to get great honor before man among the elite. They prayed in ways to get public attention. 
They dressed in ways to get public attention. They memorized scripture so that they could be seen as people who know the word of God deeply. They did things to draw the attention of men. They wanted to be recognized as scholars, and so they dressed in fancy clothes so that they could be seen as those who had the answers. They sought after the glory of man, listen, not after the glory of God. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. Listen, we will try to attract men to ourselves by what we know rather than appoint them to whom we know. I believe if I'm not careful, I can be a pastor who tries to point you to my message rather than Messiah and draw attention to myself. We live in a day when it's public as public as public. And we see it on Facebook, people posting, see what I know, see what I've done, see when I've gone, see what I've gone to church, how many verses I've memorized. Let me post everything for the world to see so that they can see how godly I am. Look at me. I'm somebody. Right? We all want to be somebody. And so that's what they did. They built towers because they wanted to what? Make a name for themselves. Shame on us if we try to draw attention to ourselves. I am nothing. Nothing. Just because I come to church, just because I preach the word, just because I study the scriptures and I get paid to do that week in and week out, I am nothing. I am but a voice proclaiming the word of God, pointing you to Christ. I try to live in a way that honors God so that you can follow after my example, but behold, I may fail you. Why? Because I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. We need Christ. We all need Christ. We don't need more Stuart. We need more Jesus. We need to understand that if we're not careful, we will try to gain glory for ourselves. The word was a witness to who Christ was. And listen, they missed it. They missed it. I was sitting in my office and I was thinking, you ever look for a pen? You know where I'm going with this, right? And you got it right here? Frantically, I'm, I'm looking. Where, where's this pen? And then all of a sudden says, somebody said, hey, it's right there. That's what they were doing. They they frantically searched the scriptures. And Christ was right there. They they pointed them to Jesus, but they, they didn't see it. They missed it. They did not know God. They did not know Christ. But then again, those 12 didn't either, did they? It seems. John 14, 7 to 10. I love John chapter 14. It's one of my favorite portions of scriptures. He says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, right? You know him and have seen him. And what does Philip say? Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. It'll be enough for us. And Jesus is like, holy moly, you missed it, dude. I mean, he's like, show me the Father. Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? (laughs) He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? 
The words which I say to you, listen, he says, I do not speak on my own initiative. Why? Because he is a representative of the Father. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father, for he is the Father. He is deity. And believe, because the Father is abiding in me, and he does his works. The problem was hard for the people to see Christ as Messiah, God in flesh. They missed who he was. God in flesh, come to earth to save all of humanity. His very word testified as to who he is. I love how Christ seals the deal here on this witness of the word. Again, the witness of the word, like the, the work and like the prophet, is founded in God testifying through these matters. Because it again is yet through another prophet. He says in Luke 24, to, in, in verse 25, O oh, foolish men, slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Remember, he's on the road. He meets these men. They're like, have you heard what's happened? I mean, Jesus crucified. He rose from the dead. They went. He's foolish men. You missed it. And he says this in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses, way back when, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. You know what? A light bulb went off in my head. And I said, guilty. I, many times, am a foolish man like them. Because I have failed to see Christ in the light of the prophets from old, the progress of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And I don't want to be a foolish man. And so they are reminded that, listen, it begins here with Moses all the way points to Jesus as God in flesh. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all of Scripture. He says in John 5, 45 to 47, Do you not think that I will accuse you before do not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses. Right? In whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, listen, if you believe what you studied, you believe the prophet Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. He pointed you to me, but you missed it. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You won't. The word of God spoke his deity through yet another prophet, God's man, God's word, God's truth. He is indeed deity. And we, like them, will do well to believe John 20, 31. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of John. Remember, that was the purpose statement of John. Jesus finished with his witness, with his word. He started with John, through the prophet that spoke the words of God. He went through his works, his miraculous signs, of healing, telling people, and he finished with that of most importance, his word. True or false? You have to choose today. Is he who he claims to be, God in flesh or not? 
we must believe that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.